Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for us. Thank you for your broken body and your shed blood. Thank you that we can know God. We can become like you. And we are so grateful that when you looked down on earth and you saw the mess we had made of things, that you didn't say, oh, I'll go somewhere else. They're off on their own. But you entered into our world and became like us so that we might become like you. God, I pray today that your name will be glorified, that you give me the words that you want spoken. You take away things that I wanted to say but really have no place in a message about you. And I pray these things like I think Jesus would. Amen. Have you ever stopped and wondered, like, why do churches occasionally take people and throw them in pools of water? Have you ever thought and wondered about that? Or, like, why do occasionally they take people and shove their heads under water? Uh, the churches I grew up around had these pools up front in the front of the church. As a kid, I was always like, oh, there's a little pool up there. And they're like, no, 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 that's not for swimming. That's special. Uh, occasionally, people would line up and be dunked under water. Some of the churches you grew up around probably had baptismal fonts or founts near the front, and they splashed people occasionally. So what's the deal with baptism? Why do churches do this? Why are churches so obsessed with water? Like, did they take out stock in Pico, and they're like, we just need to spend some water? Um, or were churches the original water parks? This is a picture of an actual water park here in Michigan that a church started. I guess they were like, hey, if they won't get in the baptisms, we'll get them in the water park bowls. But um, it's not a bad idea with this summer. I wish Horizon would start a water park. But all kidding aside, baptism is an important ordinance in the Christian faith. Today we're going to discuss why we do it, why there's so much variety in how churches do it, and we're going to talk about some of the church history and controversy that has arisen around it. Finally, we're going to talk about why it's important for you to be baptized and what that process looks like here at Horizon. Now, when you heard that I was speaking about baptism, you might have thought, well, that's a Sunday I can afford to miss because I've already been baptized. Anybody think that? Oh, nobody thought that. That's good. You know the people who thought that? The people who aren't here. That's who thought that, right? <laughs> baptism has often been trivialized. It has been rendered almost meaningless, um, partly because of centuries of debate over how it's to be done and what it means. Um, misunderstandings of various kinds about what its significance is for our lives have made it seem like just this peculiar, bizarre little practice, and I think it's lost a lot of its importance that the early church had for it. As many things divide Christians from each other, this practice of baptism actually unites us. So today, we're, as part of our mini-series called Back to the Basics, um, we're taking a break from our sermon on the series, uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about why we do what we do in church. And the last time we took this little break, we talked about communion and why we practice communion. Today we're talking about baptism, and we'll do one more before the Sermon on the Mount series ends in September. So, what's in a name? What does the word baptism mean? Does anybody know? It comes from a Greek word. It's not an English word. Baptizo, that's correct, it's the Greek word. And so they just translated it into English as baptism. We made an English word out of the Greek word. It means to submerge or to saturate with water. So not only does it refer to a symbolic practice, but when they would take things and they would baptize their clothes when they were soaking them in water, it was a common everyday word. It wasn't just a sacred word. We only use baptism in the sense of this 
sacred practice. The Hebrew word mikvah was a sacred washing in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible and other Jewish texts, they were immersed in water for ritual purification. According to the Old Testament law, if you touched a dead body, you were unclean and couldn't come into the tabernacle or the temple. You had to have this mikvah. You had to have your body submerged in water before you could be ritually pure again to worship. Um, immersion in water was required for converts to Judaism. Immersion in the mikvah represented a change in status in regards to purification, restoration, and qualification for full religious participation in the life of the community. Um, after the Babylonian captivity, about 500 years before Jesus, any proselyte, someone who wasn't a Jew who wanted to start worshiping the Jewish God, had to go through this ceremonial watching in order to become part of the Jewish faith. And then that turned into what we think of as baptism with Christianity. So why do we do it, though? Why do we, 2,000 years after Jesus, take people and throw them in some water? We don't throw them. We gently submerge people in water. In Matthew 3, verses 11 through 16, um, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into a barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus from Galilee came to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John tried to get out of it and said, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So why do we do it? Well, Jesus did it, right? But also, after Jesus' resurrection, as the church began to grow and spread, as people began to become students of the way he lived and loved, in the book of Acts, we have dozens and dozens of mention of people being baptized. Let's look at just a couple of them here. Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 8:12. when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus the Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 19:4. and Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. Acts 22:16. and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, call on his name. That's the, that's, I love the enthusiasm there. He's like, what are you waiting for? The metal tub's right here. Jump in. Acts 10, 48. And he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And I could go on and on and on because Acts is full of verses about it. And then I could leave Acts and go into the rest of the New Testament. And the New Testament is full of verses about this because this practice continues and it is repeated and taught dozens and dozens of times throughout the New Testament. As people put their faith and trust in Jesus, as they became students of the way he lived and loved, they were baptized. In Matthew 3, verse 6, before the passage that we read today, it tells us that baptism involved a confession of people's sins, and in verse 11, it involved repentance. That's changing direction. Baptism was a public expression of leaving the old kingdom behind and embracing Jesus's 
new kingdom, a public statement that your life was now headed in a new direction. Baptism is like a marriage ceremony. You don't, um, the ceremony doesn't make you love each other, but because you love each other, you marry. As G.K. Chesterton said, love cannot help but bind itself with promises. If you love Jesus, baptism is a great way to bind yourself to him with a promise. Baptism is a public promise that you're going to spend your life learning to live and love like Jesus did. As in marriage, you swear to love no other. In baptism, you swear to serve no king but Jesus. In the New Testament, as Jews and Gentiles alike acknowledge Jesus as king, the disciples of Jesus baptized them. Baptism is a way to publicly announce that you're now a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. That all old citizenship is now secondary to your commitment to King Jesus. Now, baptism doesn't save you. The New Testament makes that pretty clear. Jesus does. He's the only thing that saves us. He's the only one. But not being baptized is a little like telling your lover, I really love you, but I don't want to marry you because I'd like to keep my options open. You know, like baptism is the, the ceremony where you say, hey, I'm all in, Jesus. I am yours and you are mine. There's no other. I am now a citizen of your kingdom. It would be like telling someone you're dating, I like you, but I really want to keep my options open. In other words, baptism is like putting a ring on it, you know? Okay, sorry. But I realize this is a big decision, something you need to think about and pray about. You don't get married on a whim to a stranger. Get to know Jesus for a while before you're ready to swear allegiance to his kingdom. But if you've never been baptized, going public with your relationship is an important step. Relationships can only go so far if you're never willing to take them public. Some people are so private with their faith, they never want to do anything public like being baptized with it. And if you do that with somebody you're dating, after a while they're going to be like, are you ashamed of me? Is there something wrong with me? Like, why do we always go four towns over so no one knows that we're dating? Like, why don't you want to be seen with me? Jesus is somebody that we need to be willing to be seen with and to take a stand with, to publicly say, I'm a part of his kingdom. But in our modern Christian faith traditions, the idea of baptism has become muddy and complicated. So many churches do it differently. So how did this happen? Why do we do it differently? Why do churches down the street baptize so differently than we do? And somebody farther down the street does it differently than they do and we do. To understand all this, we need to do a quick church history lesson. And I love church history because I'm a nerd. And I realize not everybody does. So I'll try to keep it as short and as brief as we can. But I think it's important to understand. One of my friends who's an atheist, one of the things he constantly brings up to me about the Christian faith is, he says, you all do it differently. If it was really true, wouldn't you all be on the same page? Well, I think in some ways, one of the beautiful things about Christianity is it can go to every culture and every continent, and people can adapt the message of Jesus to their, can contextualize the message of Jesus to their culture. And while Jesus remains the same, some of the practices can change. I think that's a beautiful thing. I don't think that's a sign that it's false. I think that's a sign that it's true and that Jesus loves diversity. But I think that sometimes we don't always understand the church history of how we got to where we are. For the first hundred years of the first couple hundred years of the Christian faith, the only people who were baptized were converts to Christianity as they chose to follow Jesus. At first, these were Jewish people who chose to follow Jesus and then later Gentiles. 
They were baptized by immersion in the Jewish tradition. We see this over and over again in the New Testament, being submerged in water. About 300 years after Jesus, we have the first mention of infant baptism by an early church leader. Tertullian wrote a letter about baptism and the practices of baptism in the church. And in fact, in his letter, he actually questioned the practice. He's like, hey, some of you have started baptizing infants, and uh, here's my thoughts on the practice and why I don't think it's a good idea. And the timing of this letter is key. Around 300 years after Christ, what happened? The Roman Empire became the Christian Roman Empire. Constantine decided that Rome was now going to be a Christian empire because he had had a vision of Jesus telling him to kill people in his name. You know, such a Jesus thing to say. And most scholars agree that Constantine wasn't a Christian, that he took advantage of this rising Christian movement to consolidate power. And this, during this time, we see that Rome officially became Christian, Christianity became the religion of the empire, and lines began to be blurred between what it meant to be Christian and what it meant to be a Roman citizen. Not unlike America, some people began to assume that because they were born in Rome and Rome was a Christian empire, at least in name, they were Christians merely for having been born there. Christianity became a national identity instead of a sign that you had chosen to become a follower of how Jesus lived and loved. Much like I didn't choose to be American, I just was born here. Like, it's not like I signed up for it. When I was born, they were like, you're an American. You were born here in Pittsburgh. And I was like, okay, I'm an American. You know, they began to assume, well, you're born into a Christian nation. You're born into a Christian empire. So you're just automatically this. Because less and less pagans were coming to faith, and more and more people simply grew up being surrounded by Christianity as the imperial religion, and affirming it, at least by default, they began to baptize infants when they were born, assuming that they um, were automatically in the kingdom because they were born to Christian parents in a Christian empire. The problem, of course, is that some of these people never grew up to live or look like Christ. Often they looked like and lived more like the violent and oppressive Roman Empire that celebrated wealth and power rather than the humble Jesus who defeated his enemies by loving them and dying for them. And you can understand why suddenly it became really blurred between who was a Christian and who merely said they were. People who actually looked and lived like Jesus, and people who were like, well, I believe these things. I'm in this culture. I've been this since I was a baby. To think of America as a Christian nation means that we are just as likely to confuse Christianity and what it means to be American as our Roman ancestors did. We're just as likely to confuse the traits of America with the traits of Jesus. However, that's a side tangent, and we're going to get back to church history so we can stay on the topic of baptism. This practice became commonplace as the Catholic Church spread throughout Europe, eventually being born into a nation that recognized Christianity as a primary faith of the land was akin to being born a Christian. You were considered Christian from birth. Sprinkling children with water at birth became a symbolic way of showing that they were in the faith, while they would learn and affirm creeds as they grew older. Now, that continued for 15, well, 1,200 years until about 1,500 years after Jesus when we get the Reformation. Okay, man, you guys are learning all kinds of things about church history. Um, who's just bored out of their mind by church history? We're almost done, I promise. Thank you, Darby. I appreciate that honesty. 
The Protestant Reformation attempted to correct some areas of the church that they felt had been corrupted, but they continued to baptize infants. In their mind, the world was already Christian, at least the European West. Everywhere they knew, from the Mediterranean Sea into Turkey, into Europe, it was all Christian. So they're like, of course we're going to baptize infants. They're like, well, you know, far out east, there might be people who don't believe, but God's not trying to reach them. Anyways, everyone who needs to be a Christian is right here, and we're already Christian, so we'll just keep baptizing infants. Around 1,600 years after Jesus, so 100 years after the Reformation, give or take, 50 to 100 years, a group of Christians calling themselves Anabaptists arose, and they were quickly condemned by both the Catholics and the Protestants. Catholics and Protestants don't always agree on things. Just look at Ireland, right? Um, but they agreed that they both hated the Anabaptists. And you know why? This is what the Anabaptists said. Shouldn't people be baptized after they make a profession of faith? Not when they're a baby. Because no baby chose to repent. No baby chose to make a profession of faith. No baby said, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so you know what they started doing? They started going to people and said... Are you really, you really want to become a disciple of how Jesus lived and loved? And if they said yes, they baptized them then, by immersion. And all of a sudden, the Protestants were like, we need to kill these people. And the Catholics were like, we need to kill these people. And the Protestants and Catholics, which had been fighting now since the Reformation, all of a sudden agreed on something. We need to kill these Anabaptists because they're heretics. They're re-baptizing people. And that's what Anabaptist means, to baptize again. That's why they were called that. They began to re-baptize people who had been baptized as infants once they made a public profession of faith. And you might say today, like, duh, that just makes sense. Like, it should be after a public profession of faith. But this was a radical idea at the time. After over a thousand years of baptizing infants to baptize people like the New Testament did. The Anabaptists argued that you weren't born a disciple of Jesus. You had to choose to become a disciple. In their mind, if you, you could not be baptized as a follower of Jesus before you had a chance to choose to follow Jesus. This idea was so repugnant to the Catholics and the Protestants at the time that they executed many Anabaptists. And this wasn't just, you know, sometimes, you know, we get the idea of, like, the Catholic Inquisition was killing people. Protestants were killing people, too. Protestant reformers like John Calvin personally convinced rulers to kill Anabaptists for teaching this, calling them heretics. We have an old wooden cutout relief of this is a man that John Calvin had condemned to the fire because he was baptizing people after they made a profession of faith. John Calvin called him a heretic and convinced the ruler of that region to have him killed. His name was Michael Subvertus. Michael Subvertus wasn't killed by radical Catholics, he was killed by Protestants. Today, though, we're not killing each other, thankfully. We're not fighting with the other churches, like pickaxing their churches, because they're baptizing differently than us. But we're often still divided over lines that were drawn 500 years ago between Catholics and Orthodox and Protestant denominations who baptize infants. And the lines drawn between them and Mennonites and Baptists and Church of God and Assemblies of God and non-denominational churches and Nazarene churches who only baptize people after they make a willful choice to confess Jesus as their Lord. Um, there was so much fighting over baptism for a while that Christian groups like the Quakers, the Friends Society, they said, we're not baptizing at all. It's too controversial. And to this day, the Quakers do not baptize anyone because they're like, Baptism is too controversial. We just avoid it altogether. 
because there was so much bloodshed over this practice of baptism. Now baptism is like, hey, jump in this pool. You know, it's just like a little side thing we do. This was life and death for years and years of the Christian church. So how should we feel about all this? How should you feel if your family had you baptized as an infant? Your family hoped by baptizing you, it would ensure you sided with Jesus as an adult. I think we can, I think that's a positive thing. I think we can celebrate that. That's noble and to be honored. Your family said, I want you to grow up Christian. But baptism each and every time in the Bible was always a conscious choice of someone choosing to side with Jesus to renounce the citizenship to their own kingdom and join Jesus in his kingdom. Now, some Christian faith, Anglicans, I have a lot of respect for Anglicans and for their teachings and their theology. They argue that baptism doesn't depend on a profession of faith in order to be a valid baptism. However, every single time it's mentioned in the Bible, it's a direct result of a profession of faith. Here at Horizon, we recognize and we honor that your family had you baptized as an infant. If you grew up in Catholic or Presbyterian uh, tradition, for example, or an Orthodox tradition, their hope was that you would live and love like Jesus. But we encourage you, here at Horizon, we encourage you, if you've never chosen to publicly side with Jesus as a profession of faith, to do so now. Someone can't choose for you, you get a say in what you believe. When you were a baby, someone said, this is the faith you're going to have. And you know what? You grew up and maybe you didn't want that faith anymore. Maybe you wanted to try some other things. The good news is Jesus gives you a choice. Your family doesn't choose for you. Your mom and dad doesn't choose for you. You get to choose. We don't think this invalidates what your family did by having you baptized as an infant, but it allows you to choose right here and right now whether or not you want to side with Jesus. Not because your parents want you to, or not because your family wants you to, but because you have decided to follow Jesus, that you have decided to live and love like he does. Here at Horizon, we practice baptism by immersion. You got a picture? That's what baptism... Oh, could you go back for a second? Yep, so up there in the top, that's baptism by immersion. And then this is baptism by effusion. It's you pull, pour a bowl or a bucket of water over someone's head. And then this is baptism by sprinkling. These are the three practices of baptism that you usually see in Christian churches. Um, if you've been baptized after making a profession of faith, but you were baptized by sprinkling or effusion, we don't think that you need to be rebaptized. We baptize by immersion here at Horizon to honor the Jewish tradition and the historic Christian symbolism, but we recognize that the symbolism of the practice is more important than the style of how it's administered. Kate Boyd, a Christian writer and blogger, shared a, a story about a missionary friend in Africa. And this missionary friend began to reach people in this village. They began to come to faith in Jesus. And as they became students of Jesus, they said, we need to be baptized. The only problem? Water was very scarce in this African village, and it was very expensive. They had to walk a long way just to get one bucket's worth of clean water that was safe enough to be submerged in. And so the missionary began to think about this. He's like, what are we going to do? Like, it would literally take days to get enough water back, and then would it stay clean, you know? And so finally, he began to talk to people in the village, and instead, the tribe decided to dig a hole— and the person who made a profession of faith would go down in the hole, and they would cover the hole with blankets. And then they would pull all the blankets away, and the person would climb up out of the hole, and they would all shout and cheer. Do I think Jesus is like, 
not a real baptism. Try again, guys. No. I think he recognizes that they were making do with what they have. Water was scarce. And the symbolism of the practice is more important than the style. I think that Jesus is just as honored by this act. Sometimes we can become so attached to the ritual, we forget the relationship that the ritual is designed to symbolize. Baptism is a picture of being buried with Jesus. And as we come up out of the water, it represents that we are now a new person. We are a resurrected human. We are part of humanity 2.0. We're part of Jesus' new kingdom people. As we step out of the water, we're publicly announcing that Jesus is now our king. Death is defeated. We have a future and an eternal home with him. And our life is now going to be about building his kingdom and learning to live and love like he did. Dallas Willard says, you are saved because you believe. But remember, while baptism does not save the soul, there is a real sense in which it saves the life. And until the life of the individual is claimed by a community, by a church that is living before the open gates of heaven and has the pillar and the cloud over them and ministers the glory of the kingdom of God, until that happens, life is going to be so hard and there is going to be such a lack of power as you try to live and love like Jesus. At Horizon, when someone wants to be baptized, this is what we do. We have a couple pictures here of some of the baptisms we've had at Horizon. We have this metal tub here that we fill up with water. And uh, we meet with people if they want to be baptized. We talk to them. We make sure they understand what they are doing. They are announcing to the church and the community that they have decided to follow Jesus. They become students of how he lived and loved. We fill this metal tub with water. We take it out to the, um, the gardens here. And then we gather around and myself or someone they know ask them two questions. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And we want that answer to be yes, because if no, we're not going to baptize you. And the second question is, by being baptized today... Are you saying you want to spend the rest of your life learning how to live and love like Jesus did? And if they say yes, we ease them back under the water. We pull them up and we clap and we celebrate and we shout and we sing. And we always buy a cake. Because it's a celebration. Because baptism is a celebration. It's an announcement that another person has committed to be a part of Jesus' coming kingdom. That they have rejected the kingdom of darkness that is passing away. And they have new citizenship papers in the kingdom of heaven. If you've never made the choice to be baptized, to publicly announce that you're becoming a student of how Jesus lived and loved, I encourage you to consider it. We're going to leave this metal tub here at the Mainline Art Center, not in this room, but here at the Mainline Art Center. And so we're ready. It's not going to be like back in some storage space where it's hard to get to. It's going to be ready and available every Sunday if we need to, after a service, go out to the gardens and baptize you. It's going to be ready. It's going to be here. We want to always be ready for you to make the public announcement that you're leaving the old kingdom behind and you want to be a part of Jesus' coming kingdom. I think the best way to end this message is with a powerful video from that powerful and famous Catholic theologian, Nacho Libre. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? 
because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Felicidades. I promise to not sneak attack baptize anyone. But if you've never got around to it, it's a great time to be baptized today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and for dying, for being resurrected and ascending to heaven. Thanks for being our high priest in heaven, fighting for us, praying for us, cheering us on. God, I pray for those watching this online, those here who have never taken the step to say, I'm publicly siding with Jesus. God, I pray that they will make that choice soon, that you will just give them peace and the courage to step forward and say, yes, I want to stand with Jesus. I want to make sure my citizenship is stamped for an eternity with him. I want to let everyone know I'm going to become a student of how he lived and loved. Dallas Willard mentioned that Sometimes we don't have the power to live as a disciple because we've missed step one of discipleship, which is being baptized. Look, it's great to learn how to live and love like him, but if you skip that first step, when I build with Ikea furniture, God, you know that when I skip the first step, it doesn't all come together right. And I pray that you give people the courage to take that first step and be baptized.